You're listening to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, sponsored by Mission First Capital, bringing real estate investment deals for active duty and veteran investors. Your host, Anthony Pinto, searched land, air, and sea to find military investors just like you investing in multifamily and commercial real estate, both active duty and veterans. Hear their stories, learn their lessons, and be inspired by the obstacles they have overcome on their path to financial freedom. Whether you are overseas or stationed at home, if you want to get started as a military real estate investor, this is the show for you. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. I'm so excited to have you guys here today on the revamped new and improved version of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I wanted to refocus on my mission here in life uh, with this podcast, and that is to help teach and inspire 1 million military members and veterans to achieve financial freedom through real estate. And as a part of the March to a Million campaign, my call is to show you the path to freedom of time and money, whether you intend to stay in for 20 years or get out next year. And so listen to the stories of fellow military members and investors just like you struggling, overcoming and achieving success in multifamily real estate and even some of them doing it while active duty and really dig into their lessons learned as well as their failures on their path to success. Uh, But you came here for the show, so let's get to it. All right, welcome back everyone to the Lessons in Real Estate show. Again, I'm your host, Anthony Pinto. And today we have on a really good friend. And and I feel like I say that every time, but Dane and I have known each other for, gosh, a better part of a year and a half now. Um, He was one of the first people I met when I first got to Japan. And unfortunately, he's no longer here. We can't hang out. But I want to have him on the podcast because he's had such an interesting journey uh, so far in his life. Um, And we'll get into a lot of that within the show. But uh, he went from selling software and working in the tech industry to being the CEO of a real estate investing company practically overnight. And that transition was was pretty much overnight, was traveling from Japan doing tech to going back to the United States and being in real estate. Uh, He also invested in his first duplex when he first got there with zero money down pretty much the first week that he returned to the United States. And now he is working with investors to buy hotels and commercial deals and strategically pivoting within the, the market that he's working in there. So Dane, Logan, welcome to the show. I'm ex- super excited to have you here and talk. Thank you, Anthony. I'm, I'm really uh, honored to be on your show, actually. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, I've been wanting to have you on for a while, but I figured I'd let you, you know, actually move into your house and get your stuff unpacked first before I made you get on camera. So I appreciate you coming on here. But um, I know a lot about your background, obviously, but let's, you know, let's get the listeners, you know, your, your military esque background and uh, you know, how that led to where you are now. Yeah, without a doubt. So um, for those listening, my background's a little unorthodox compared to, I think most male spouses, me being the male supporting a female, my wife was in the nurse corps when I met her. She was actually doing ROTC in Salt Lake City, Utah, where we're from. And how we met is kind of an interesting story on its own. But when our paths had crossed um, and I found out what she was doing, I thought, wow, that's really inspirational. She's a she's an officer in the Navy. She had made some really good decisions as far as like having her school paid for. And it was a private college. She was on track to becoming a nurse. And I was so impressed by that. So as we got to know each other and really bonded, she graduated and the decision came down the line and the military said, well, it's time to send you off to San Diego and start your, your military journey. I was like, oh my gosh, what do we do from here? 
I never imagined moving with my spouse somewhere to support that career. I was doing really well on, on the tech side. Utah, for people who don't know, is Silicon Slopes. It's the next Silicon Valley. It's really, really happening. And so I had a very exciting career in software sales. And I came to that kind of pivotal junction, like, do I stay and let go of this amazing relationship and support this incredible girl? Or do I risk it and go? And so I, I said, I'm, I'm going to go. And so that was kind of a, a big decision on my part to, like I said, trust powers bigger than myself, if you will, to, to follow the path of, of kind of love and relationship. Um, but I think <laughs> when I did that, I didn't tell him that I was moving. I just thought, hey, well, in tech, you should be able to work remote. And I just went for it. I pulled the trigger. And Kim's like, did you work all that out? And I was like, yeah, 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 we're good, we're good. And uh, I just went for it. So that was how I ended up becoming um, my, my, my relationship developed with someone in the military and having to learn how to support that role that she had taken on for herself before we met. And so that wasn't too challenging, right? We were in San Diego. Um, I worked back in Utah, so I'd fly back and forth. They had a really cheap airline that I, no one was the wiser for quite some time. Um, and it was all going swimmingly until she then got stationed in Japan. And I was like, oh no, I can't, uh, I can't fake this one. So, and I was showing up into the office in the middle of winter with like a tan. I was looking all good all the time. So people knew something's a little different. Like Dane's either traveling a lot or he's living out of state, but I'd made it work. And um, I think where it got really difficult was I had to let them know I'm about to move overseas. And Kim and I had to make the decision because we, we were kind of in this, um, how do you say, we were, we were like, our relationship was evolving, things were good. And it was like, well, it's time to get married now or again. Uh, our paths are going to go in two different directions. And we obviously bit the bullet, had an incredible small wedding, and we went to Japan together. And that's what landed us over there and a whole cascade of other adventures, which ultimately is how you and I met. Dude, that's, that's crazy. I didn't realize that uh, you pretty much telecommuted to Utah while you were in San Diego. That's, that's, that blows my mind. That's such a long way to have to go back and forth. Um, yeah. But I think your story highlights an issue that a lot of people, particularly in my mind, because I don't, you know, my, my spouse is, is active duty as well. So I don't really have to think about this as much. But um, I, I work with other male spouses, you know, in, in my business. And, you know, this is kind of a very real reality for a lot of military spouses is, um, particularly with, with male military spouses is like, you, when you're a military spouse, like your career doesn't really matter, right? Like, you could pick up and go the next day, whether you have a 10 year career or not, right, or you're just getting started. And that's hard to, uh, to, to maintain kind of a normalcy in the job that you're trying to do particularly before COVID when everything was not, not too much was necessarily remote. Um, you know, obviously you picked a, a job when tech that allowed you to do that. But, you know, if you're working as like a social worker, right. in a particular area, like you can't necessarily do that remotely, or you want to, you know, do something that requires you to be kind of boots on the ground within the area. Uh, it's, it's difficult to really establish your roots, uh, particularly as a male. I think we have a very, um, cultural mindset that, you know, the male needs to be, be the breadwinner, right? And so when you kind of are floating around and not really having a job, um, it's, it's, 
for the uh, for the person who that that their identity is tied to that as they need to be you know the strong male who you know goes out and and kills the boar every day to bring home the food that can be kind of jarring for a lot of people and and I know that's necessarily not necessarily you know how you think in your mindset but I think that your story will resonate with a lot of people particularly male uh, male spouses and and how you build out a career or how you make a living um, particularly overseas uh, so. So what did you end up doing when you got over here to Japan? Yeah, so that was the hard part is I usually find something wherever I land. I figure a way in, I find some sort of job, whatever it is. But the decision I made kind of bit me in the butt because I left my career on my upswing. I was like upward, higher management, um, starting to do very well as an account executive and starting to run teams and train people. And so most people thought I made a pretty big mistake, right? Moving to a uh, completely different country for three years, no less, right? It wasn't like a small tour because we were married. It was going to be three years out of the U.S., completely disconnected. Um, and the company couldn't support that. They said, well, when, we'll help you land, get on your feet, train up the, your, your team members and the people below you. But you really, there's nothing we can do for you at this time we need someone like you said kind of boots on the ground Mm -hmm. um with that area knowledge and so i ended up in japan not being able to speak the language with not a lot of job opportunities they i tried to go through the traditional route applying through the military um usa jobs and i probably applied to over and i even worked with the specialist on base who helped me custom write my resume and i applied to everything that was open even with military spouse preference and I ended up with nothing for eight months. I mean, it was very, very difficult. And I went from someone who was actively growing my career, someone who had a lot of ambition to having zero. And that was a very frightening thing. And even my wife was a little bit worried that we kind of made the wrong decision, even though um, there we didn't have much of a choice as far as where her tour was, right? And so when you're over there and you're kind of getting settled, I ended up buying... Uh, through a very difficult process, I ended up buying a car from a local car dealer uh, called Cheap to Drive. And he was this old British guy, salty as hell, man. And uh, we just clicked because our humor was the same. And he's all, well, what are you doing over here? And I was like, nothing right now. I I have nothing going on. He's like, I could have, I really need some help. Someone running all of the cars to Yokohama to do the registrations. Because when you live in Japan, Americans can't do that on their own. They can, but it's extremely difficult because of the distance and the tolls. And I don't know if you ever went with me on that one time, but it's like four DMV buildings with zero English and no one knows what's going on. And as a foreigner, it can be extremely challenging. And uh, so it was called a runner, like a title runner. And I said, yeah, hey, I would love to take on some of the extra work. So I start working with this guy and him and I, he liked my work ethic. And obviously I think big picture and strategy. And I said, hey, I have some ideas how you might be able to run your business a little bit better. And over the months, I started giving him kind of like ideas on the flow, right? Of like from sale to how to process the whole, this whole sales process, how to work with customers and his business that summer, we increased, we doubled the, the output, which was really, really cool. And so that relationship at least provided me some income and something to do besides learning Japanese. And I mean, all that stuff was awesome. That being there was amazing. I don't regret that at all. But just jumping blindly was probably one of the biggest risks I've ever taken. And I, I wouldn't do it again. 
um, because I thought there would be more resources for someone like me when I got there, but the military doesn't really have that in place. And so I felt quite, like I said, uh, a little bit overwhelmed and not sure of how that was going to uh, kind of iron out, but it ended up working out really well. And then because of that, I ended up getting to know everyone on base. I mean, everyone from like the XO down, we sold cars to everyone. So I had this kind of inner network of, of information constantly around me. I knew what was going on. I knew who was coming in. I knew everyone at Kim's command. And then I realized I didn't so much want to keep working for this gentleman, right? It was a lot of hard work and not a lot of, hey, honestly, at the end of the day. And that's just that industry. Um, and so I kind of branched out and just started looking back in the tech industry. Couldn't get jobs on base, had no leads going on. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, you know what? The nature of tech really should be remote. So I started putting my feelings fillers out there and uh, I ended up locking down an awesome opportunity as the director of enterprise sales for a tech company that specializes in speech analytics and artificial intelligence. It was really, really cool. They flew me yeah. back to Utah, my home state, brought me on board, introduced me to the team, and then I hit the ground running. I was, you know, selling globally at that point. They wanted me to open the bridge to Japan and also look into Europe and some of the Asian continents. So then it was like nonstop 24-7 because the hours were different. I had to still work U.S. hours. So I was working all night. And then seeing the sunrise come up was when I went to sleep every day. And uh, I, I, I grinded really hard with that for quite some time. And then the dealership guy kept calling me back and saying, hey, I really would like you to come back and help me. You know, would you consider maybe even buying my business? And a little light bulb went off in my head and I was like, I do like this business. The relationships I built were awesome. I knew I could run it better. You know, he was kind of old school, like hardcore, get it done and grind to the end, but he didn't use a lot of strategy. But the guy was making so much money, it was crazy. And so I talked to my brother and we were going to buy the business from him and I was gonna live in Japan. I loved it that much. So I was like, I'm buying this thing, I'm staying, I'm never going home. Uh, forget tech, I would rather be a business owner. And then we got through to the final stages where we we're closing on that. And his silent partner, which we didn't know about, at the very end said, I want $100,000 more. And my older brother, he's like, no bullshit. I don't know if I can swear on this. Anyway, yeah, uh, okay. He was like, you know, he's like, no BS. And he's like, absolutely not. And he's like, this conversation's over. And it just cut that deal out. So then I was kind of at square one, right? Because I was like, it's too hard to keep working these overseas hours and I'm going to have to go back and, and to the place where I just didn't want to move home to. I, I kind of launched from Utah and I was ready to move on to the next thing. Um, and so I knew if I went back there, I have a bright future in tech. I have all these connections, but I didn't have the love and passion for it. And I just felt kind of stagnant. Like part of me wasn't excited about that. Um, Kim obviously was like, are you crazy? Like the money you make in tech is pretty hard to uh, pretty hard to make in other industries unless you're in medical or law or something. So it was a very difficult decision. I didn't know where I was going to land. And then I kept, I got a phone call from my friend, Hugh. And Hugh is someone that your listeners are going to meet very soon. 
he's a character in his own. I can't ever describe Hugh accurately other than he's Hugh. Um, and I'm so excited for people to kind of get to know him better. He said, hey, and he's this quirky guy who owned manufacturing companies in China and his parents own this really cool uh, company called Springfield Marine in the United States. And he would come visit me in Japan and we had this great relationship. Also, our wives were working and we were two spouses, two male spouses. That's how we met. And uh, he said, I want you to move to Missouri and work with me uh, in real estate. And I was like, what are you talking about? One, I don't know anything about real estate. I'm not a real estate genius like all you guys. You guys are so much smarter than me and you guys understand this industry so well that it would be, I knew that there would be some challenges, right? A big learning curve. And then two, I was like, where's Missouri? So it was kind of like, I knew it was in the middle somewhere. And uh, when you live in the Rocky Mountains or on the West Coast, you think anything, let's see, east of the Rocky Mountains is just flat. That's all I thought is just this flat wasteland all the way to the East Coast. No, not that bad, but um i just thought no that's not gonna happen it's not the opportunity for me but he's so persistent and he's so eccentric and he's so he he's not a salesman but he's just has this way of like creating an idea in your mind and it starts to stick with you and about it took about six months for it to take root and as i started talking seriously with kim about it she was like you're 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 joking right like we're not really moving to missouri and sure enough I am talking to you today from my first investment property in Nixon, Missouri. Damn. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've read this book, but there's a book called uh, green lights by Matthew McConaughey. And um, if you haven't read it and the listeners haven't read it, highly recommend, actually recommend listening to it on audible because he actually narrates it himself. But um, I guess a good way to describe it is it's a memoir of his life. And in that he talks a lot about green lights or the, um, the paths or the doors that are open to us uh, by the universe to step through, right? That, you know, you, you find yourself in these situations and they somehow go from being, you know, red lights, which is like what you got with, uh, uh, with the car business, with it just pretty much just like within the hour, just like everything was gone, like everything was shut down, right? Or even just coming and, and getting a red light here when you first got to Japan and you turn that into a green light, right? And I think it's just really interesting that, you know, in my experience, I have a lot of guys that I work with who are married here, like the vast majority are married and pretty much all their male spouses are not working, right? Because it's so difficult to get a job here. And I think, you know, those, those, a lot of those guys also have family. So they are stay at home moms or dads, but you, you kind of took a very different approach, right? You got a red light when you, uh, you know, when you flew, when um, Ken moved to San Diego initially, and you're like, no, like, I'm not going to accept that red light, I'm going to turn into green light, and you worked anyway, and then you got another one when you moved over here to Japan, and had to completely kind of cut yourself off from tech, not knowing what your future was going to be, and it seemed like, you know, for months, eight months, it was a red light for you, until you turned into a green light, finding, you know, getting into the car business, and then you got another red light with the car business, just, you know, not actually buying it. And then that turned into Hugh. And I just, I think it's so fascinating that, you know, you could have just rid your time in Japan and just, you know, sat at home and be, you know, been a mill spouse and learned Japanese and just kind of survived off of, you know, uh, off of Kim's income. And, you know, I think that would have been fine. You know, there's a lot of hurdles that you had, a lot of barriers that you had to find a job and, and, you know, find work. Um, and you ultimately made it work. And I think it's just, I think it's a testament to your, your, your hard work and determination through all of that. 
um, and, and realizing when red lights could be turned into green lights. And I think that's a good lesson learned that I want to, I wanted to emphasize that because it's, it seems like your, your journey has had a lot of, of, you know, rocks in it and you kind of stumbled a few times, but they really stumbled you into another open door. Um, so I, I want everyone to realize that, you know, it's just because you're living overseas, just because you have to move to a new location, just because you're, you know, accelerating in your career doesn't mean that you can't pivot. It doesn't mean you can't get into something else that, um, you know, you really enjoy doing. So, um, so let's get into, uh, actually, I want, I want to start with how we met because I, I, I think this is just a fascinating story to me. And uh, I want to hear from your perspective because it's, I know what happened on my end, um, but uh, I want to hear from your end. Because, yeah. you know, it's when I think of how we met, it reminds me of uh, Step Brothers, where like they kind of start off as enemy enemies and then like they suddenly came together and just like, did we just become best friends? Yep. That's I feel like that's exactly how we met and how that went. So sorry, go ahead. Tell, tell the story from your perspective. Well, I met your wife first, right? Because I worked at the hospital or Kim worked at the hospital. The first thing she said, someone's moving in, they need a car. And at that point, I was just helping people as a service because I knew how difficult it was. And when you go and buy from other people, you can lose a lot of money. They'll they'll gouge you, right? And I was like, I'm just going to help people for like 100 bucks. I didn't care. So they're like, my friend Peggy needs a car. I was like, cool. I mean, Peggy, she's super funny. I was like, she's a nice girl. And she's like, and I start, you know, trying to help you guys through that process. And the next thing I know, I'm talking to you, Anthony. And yeah, you're right. Like, I'm kind of feeling you out a little bit. We're getting to know each other. And I can't remember, we had to go do something where I was taking, I was actually taking you up to see the car, I think is what the main conversation we had. Do you remember that? Yeah. I don't know how we got on the topic. I just read Brandon Turner's book on how to, you know, real estate investing and, and the whole concepts of Burr, because, you know, I had time, you, you described it as a mill spouse. I started taking time to educate myself on areas that would really benefit Kim and I and making smart moves and, and living passively and I had somewhere in the back of my mind always wanted to know about that or do that but I had no clue how to do that so I see this book on audible I get it I'm like it's burning in my mind and I can't remember if I said something to you about real estate investing you're like that's what I do or and I was like oh wow and we just start the floodgates were kind of open at that point <laughs> we're like going into it about Brandon Turner and all these things and you're like I've you said you either read it or you talked to him. I couldn't remember. And I was like, whoa, I couldn't believe that. I was like, that is so cool. Um, and then the whole trip up there, we really just connected famously, right? Then I go back to Kim and I was like, Kim, you're never going to believe this. Peggy's husband's awesome. And he's in real estate and he wants to do this. And and she's like, oh no, he's got another idea that he wants to do. You know, <laughs> and you could tell she was like, crap. Um, but I was so intrigued by this idea of burring property right and and you really kind of opened the door that someone had done it that I just met and that this is a real thing that real people do and then you shared your story how you guys almost got burned doing that and it can be and it was like a real struggle with your triplex and some of the stories and I was like okay I'm not going to share that part with Kim but I am going to share that they were able to do it and do it really well so uh, that's kind of how you and I met is because i was helping you get a car it's just car. wild you know and it, it was just like, i mean there's a million places you could have bought it right mm -hmm. 
it was just strange that happened that when it did, because I still had about a year left there, or you had a year left because you left. I mean, you're still there at death, vice versa. Yeah. I had a, a year and a half left and just the timing was really, really perfect on it. And then you and I were just like, well, we should just hang out too. Like it was, it was kind of cool how we really got to get to know each other. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's just one of like, one of those things with the universe where the universe put us on, on the same direction together. And it just happened to be that we we're talking about real estate. It just happened to be that, you know, we are wise work together and, and it's, you know, it's, it's been fascinating to kind of see, you know, and talk with you and, and get your insights on a lot of stuff. Cause I mean, if, if you guys look through, to uh, Dane's bio, like he is, you know, he's not your, your typical techie guy, right? You know, his degree is not in that. Like, that's not what he started doing. You know, he, I think you met, you even met Kim, like in uh, uh, working at a psych hospital too, right? <laughs> yeah, we met at a psych hospital and um, she was doing her nursing clinicals and I was working with adolescents with drug, alcohol, suicide problems. Mm-hmm. That was the human development. My two loves are architecture and human development and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, how Kim and I met one week of time, our paths crossed, like I said, a whole different story, but I always tell people met at a psych hospital. And, you know, when she got out, I asked her on a date, but uh, <laughs> she, she's great. So. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, I want to emphasize that. Cause I think it's, you've had such a, a varied life. Um, and if, if you guys want to reach out to Dane, just the stories you could tell, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's funny to me when I was, uh, uh, when my grandfather was still alive, yeah, he was a World War II vet and I would go and talk with him all the time. And he would just tell, he would recount stories from like 60 years ago. And I feel like that's what it's like talking with, with Dane is he's got, you know, so many storied pasts. Like it's just, it, it's crazy. Like it's not, it's not typical at all, right? From how you grew up to where you grew up to, you know, the degree that you got. Uh, to you know going to tech and now not being in tech I mean it's just it's a it's a crazy roller coaster ride so highly recommend you guys reach out to Dane and just kind of pick his 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 brain on on the path that he's taking because this is it is fascinating and you know and I remember you know I would come over to your house all the time and we'd just sit and like smoke cigars or smoke a pipe or you know drink beer and like hours would go by and we was just like where did the time go we just sit and chat and talk yeah. and, and discuss, you know, life and philosophies and, and real estate and, you know, everything in between. So I definitely miss you, you being out here, man. <laughs> I do too. And it's so rare to meet people like that. And when I had met you, I thought, wow, Anthony is such an open person. The way you think about the world and we could discuss ideas, even if we didn't see the world the same way. And that to me was so valuable. And I think that's something that always drew me to psychology is, being able to connect with people Mm -hmm. and the psychology of anything you do, people underestimate the degree of psychology. I've used my psychology to be extremely successful in sales, in storytelling, in relationship building, client success, whatever it was that I was doing. A lot of the fundamentals come from my understanding of of human behavior, cognitive psych, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I highly usually push people to look into some of those fields, read books that challenge you in ways that develop your psychology. My path is very strange how I got here in life. Uh, it's so unorthodox. And I would never have seen that as valuable until I, I arrived where I'm at today. And in, in fact, most of my life was quite frustrating. And I think I lived a lot in the unknown, right? 
So I feel so grateful and pretty lucky to have landed where I have today. But now it's the awareness of that has led me to be able to create focus and direction and drive that I do understand my part in the creative process in that. So that's kind of, again, what spawned the desire to do something different um, and partner with someone like Hugh in a state I'd never been to in an industry I knew nothing about mm-hmm. was following kind of the inner compass. So you and I had talked about, I mean, we get in depth about all kinds of areas. And I think I shared with you the story of the meditation that kind of opened me up to a whole new direction in life. And it's about creating space, right? It was a meditation by David G. J. I. And um, it was called Rebirth. And this meditation just hit me at home so deeply that it literally altered my course dramatically. That's when I locked down the position with immersion learning. That's when I ended up, you know, partnering with you. All of these things that had come were as a direct result in my mind from doing kind of the inner work, journeying a little bit inside and, and facing some of my obstacles, my challenges, my beliefs, and then creating space for something bigger instead of letting all of that operate in the background and hold me back, right? Mm-hmm. So as I've been, I think, opening myself up to new opportunities, Anthony was like, hey, I am part of this M1 tribe. It's amazing. And your growth within that tribe was so inspiring to me and just how you showed up different every time we got together and your, your integrity, your attention to detail, your alertness, your mission was really stood out to me, right? And you shared that experience with me and, and really urged me to move in that direction and sponsor me. And it was, it's been a journey that's been amazing. Now I'm in rooms with people I, I couldn't imagine have um, being you know, in these conversations with, investing with, learning from, uh, it's been a pretty remarkable journey. Now my my motto is really just show up, right? When someone asks you on a podcast, when someone uh, invites you to a meeting, when someone invites you to travel to their country, or their home, just show up. And you don't know what's going to happen there, but that's where the magic is, right? So when when I knew I was just going to show up in Missouri, it has been probably the best thing that's happened to me, not without challenges, right? but it's been the best decision I never thought I would make in my life. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, knowing you, I think that's just a testament to who, who you are as a, as a person. Um, Japanese is a, a particularly difficult language to learn. Um, but I mean, you, you dedicated yourself to being good at it, but not only being good at it, but um, embodying the culture and the way that they actually speak the words that they speak rather than just, you know, saying some words and in, in, in broken, in broken Japanese and hoping that they understand what you're meaning. Like most of, like most of us do, um, you really like dedicated yourself to actually learning Japanese. And, you know, it's always fascinated me when, you know, we go out to eat when you're back here in Japan and you're like, yeah, I met, I met this Japanese guy at the bar last night and he's like, blah, 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 blah. And like, then he took us back to his, you know, this other bar that he owns. And then, you know, now we're like drinking buddies, you know, every day. And it was like, it's just, it blows my mind. Cause it's, it's, um, to me trying to speak Japanese to someone is it's just, it's almost like it ends to itself, right? Like I'm just trying to get to the conversation to get to, you know, what we need, like ordering food or, you know, checking out or whatever. 
But for you, it's like you're you are really in it for the journey itself. Like you're speaking Japanese and trying to understand what they're saying to get to really know the person. And I think that was that's fascinating. I think it's it's a testament to who you are as a person, your personal philosophy. Because you know, to even now, like I find it uncomfortable to to talk to someone at length and having a conversation in Japanese because most of the time I don't know what they're saying, and, and it's just kind of a conversation ender. But like the paths that you've opened and the people that you've met just by, by dedicating yourself to actually learning a little bit more Japanese, you know, you obviously weren't fluent in it, but you knew enough to, to establish these relationships. And I mean, this, the crazy stories that you've had here just by talking with people and having a real connection. It's just, it just, it was always been fascinating to me. So I have no doubt that you've brought that to Missouri and just have thrived through your time there so far. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Anthony. I felt very fortunate. My experience in Japan was second to none. I had opportunities I don't think most foreigners get. And it was my desire and my personal mission in life to break down barriers. Communication is that big one. Mm -hmm. And if you learn to communicate in a man's language, what's that saying? You can speak, he'll listen. If you learn to speak to him uh, in words that it, you know, um, that his heart understands, he'll open his heart to you. I can't remember how it goes. Very, very beautiful quote. But it was my desire to learn truly the cultural intricacies of the Japanese, how they speak, why they say things, use phrases that they use with each other and show the respect that I believe foreigners should show when coming to a different country, right? And I think that genuine desire, I made uh, world famous friends, just people who wanted to show me their Japan. And I would, I lost 24 hours of my life with Takashi I told you about that. Yeah. He said, I'm going to pick you up. I said, yeah, Takashi, where do you want me to meet you? I was supposed to go to lunch. That was it. 24 hours later, I returned home and my cat's looking disappointed. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling like, do I do a walk of shame? Even though it was the greatest adventure, right? There was, it was nothing but awesome. But it was that funny thing where I lost 24 hours of my life because of these great relationships I'd built and the trust there. And he just wanted to keep showing me the best parts of Japan. And he knew my time was limited. This was my last week. And I got left by the military in an empty barracks. They took everything and I'm sleeping on the floor and eating canned fish and noodles, right? And just because of this incredible friend I made, he said, no, I'm coming to get you. And I went from, like you said, these crazy little bars no one would ever find and karaoke opera music to the seaside to sushi restaurants that, you know, the, the, the Taisho or the chef had been doing it for 40 years. They were a grand master sushi chef. And then I won all this money at a pachinko bar. Uh, the pachinko is like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a casino. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing, but all of these lights were flashing and all these Japanese people were standing around me cigarettes hanging out of their mouth they're like so good and they were just like couldn't believe this foreigner was just hitting the jackpot on this machine and it was just so wild that when i got back i was like did that just happen he like drops me off and the adventure had come to an end but it was through these these experiences that just opened me up to if you can break down barriers with people the way you and i were able to and connect the way I was able to with the Japanese people, or the way that I truly try with everyone I meet, because I believe that the human connection is the most important thing, you will find a lot of the joy and the magic in life that people miss out on. So I appreciate you kind of highlighting that. It's, it is a personal mission of mine to 
find out how to speak to people in the language that makes sense to them, that's meaningful to them. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was going to kind of get a little bit more into the real estate side of things, but on that, on that, um, on that thread, I think, uh, you know, when we first started talking, like you kind of really helped me rebuild out my website to make it like more personal to the people I was trying to talk with. And I think that's a, a, a unique skill that you have is to be able to tell a story and use that in to strategize how you talk with people, right? Because, you know, in real estate and really in anything that's people focused uh, industry or business, it's all about how you present yourself and the story that you can tell, right? People want, especially when they're throwing money or, you know, investing money, um, they mm-hmm. want to be able to trust the people they're involved with, right? They need to have that sort of connection, right? They need to, to know that, uh, you know, you have their best interests at heart and that you're like, you're a real genuine person. And, you know, it was just kind of mind blowing when you were going through my, my website initially, and even just the other content that I made, how you were able to pick out different keywords and like how you, you built this story out from, you know, essentially taking the life that I've had and the experience that we've had and, and putting that out and projecting it to the world. And, and even just listening to you tell that story, I was just, and I've heard it before, like I literally heard it the next day that this happened and I was still enraptured with, uh, with the story that you had. So um, I, I want to kind of delve into that a, a little bit more and, you know, strategies for, for telling your story the best the way that you can, really regardless of whatever business you're in. Yeah, no, I, I love that we're on this topic because my true passion in life is storytelling. What I've been able to do with Hugh is help him tell his story because everyone who meets him already knows he's an eccentric millionaire and he's, he's just this incredible, you know, like visionary, but he didn't know how to tell that to the world and show that side of him. And whether you're building a website or whether you're having a conversation, the ability to tell a story that has the greatest elements that make the story is the most important skill I think that you can learn. And I was fortunate in my life to be kind of a natural storyteller, right? My mind works this way naturally with strategy, storytelling. Um, But early on in my career in tech, we had a gentleman who owned StoryCo. Uh, I, I honestly believe his name's Anthony. He worked at Microsoft for years before and then was so good at doing this that now he works with the biggest companies in the world and teaches them how to tell their story. So I had direct access to this gentleman when he first stepped into that. The company paid him to come on and consult. And he really solidified those incredible elements of why stories are so dynamic, why they touch people, why they move us to do great things. Even if the logic is there, sometimes we don't act. But the story, the 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 essence of something intangible moves us, right? And so I knew with storytelling, it's a gift um, to know how to do it right. And I I really work with people individually or as businesses to help them align with their story, to understand their vision and to help connect with that audience because everyone's looking for an audience to connect to, right? There's a goal of mine or a mission behind that story. And if you can do it right, you're unstoppable. And I'll give you a really cool example, okay? He said, how many of you play Xbox? And everyone's like, yeah, at the tech company, there's Xboxes all over, you know, everyone's playing Halo. And he goes, how many of you believe that Xbox is a life-changing brand or, or connect with it spiritually? And everyone's like, no, I mean, it's a gaming console. And he goes, 
let me show you the power of storytelling. And he plays a YouTube video about a kid who used to play Xbox with his dad. They played a racing game. I think it was um, GTR2 or something. I can't remember what it was. No, not Grand Theft Auto. Uh, what's the other big one? Um, anyway, it's just strictly Grand racing. Racing or something. Gran Turismo. Yeah. yeah. So it was GT2. Anyway. Um, and he would play with his dad all the time. Like that was kind of their thing. That's how they connected. His dad would get home from work. He'd come home from school and they'd have some races. And he got better and better and better. Well, his dad dies. By random, his dad dies by either something medical or tragic. I can't quite remember. Um, and the Xbox obviously gets forgotten. His life moves on and he gets a little bit older and he's cleaning out his garage one day and he finds the Xbox in his garage. And he pulls the Xbox out and he goes, I wonder if this even still works. Plugs it in and he just really wanted to kind of connect with his dad, the memory that they had built together. And he plugs the Xbox in and he starts to play. And it said, uh, you know, when you play, you play against the shadow of the best time you had from the previous game. It was his dad's racing shadow. So he was racing against his dad, you know, as he started playing the game again. And it like, the meaning of the story was so powerful and impactful. And by the end, you know, he said it was bliss being able to race against the ghost of his father. It was as if he was sitting in the same room as him. And again, the story moved me so deeply. And it was the story that Xbox uh, Microsoft ended up using to promote like how we connect with things and, and brands. So again, it's that power of that story. You find something so moving and it changes your entire idea of what that thing is. All of a sudden I was like, I love Xbox. I want to play Grand Turismo with my son. You know, in case I die, he'll have the ghost of my my last time on the screen. Yeah. It was awesome. And again, once that clicked with me, I've kind of taken all of those strategies and all of that learning and helped other people or other companies uh, tell their story better. And so now I'm gearing up in my career in a whole new avenue. I focus a lot on strategy with people. A strategy is the thing that's most easily overlooked. You have to have the operations. You have to have the business intelligence. You have to have all these things, right, to make a business run, without a doubt. But uh, the truly great businesses employ great strategy. And I'm very fortunate. My uh, cousin, he's one of the greatest uh, business consultants and strategists, I think, of our age. His name's Herman Gear. He owns Edge Consulting. He is really incredible. Him and his wife. Uh, have been doing this for several decades. And he really connects with people's story, with their why. He understands them. He's worked with, I believe, Apple and Virgin Mobile and some, I mean, I can't remember the list it goes on, but he truly is a master at understanding the story and the why and building culture, right? Um, and so, I, again, I, I, I started to see the vision of why this is important. And now... Everything we do, all the videos we produce for uh, YouTube and the content we create on the Greater Ozarks Realty side, the company I work with, Hugh, I employ story. It can't just be informational. It can't be transactional. The, the power is connecting with the people. So that's, I think, an area that, again, not just I, I have a personal passion for, but is something um, I'm continually to grow and, and help other grow, people grow in as well. 
I mean, that, that, that was fascinating. Just, just hearing that story and, and connecting with it. It's, it's, that's true. I mean, you can, uh, you can have the best product in the world and it's going to change all these lives, but if no one can connect with it, if no one can see your vision for it, if no one can, you know, understand what your motivation is, then, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, you know, I, I think a case in point is you, if you've ever watched Shark Tank and, and you see the founders get up there and they tell their story and give their background and how this product has kind of been there and, you know, has been in, in their minds for this amount of time because they're trying to solve this particular problem. And that's, I think it's, it's so, it's, it's so amazing to, to see that interaction and see how people kind of come up with these ideas and see what their motivations are. Um, and, and it sounds like that's exactly, exactly what you're doing. And, and I think it's, it's vitally important, particularly in real estate, as well as, you know, you're, you're trying to connect with real people who may, you know, want to get into real estate and don't necessarily know how, or their need to sell their home because, you know, their grandfather, you know, died or, or whatever, but this home really has a lot of significance to them because, you know, maybe they would go over there every weekend and, you know, spend the time with them when their parents had to work. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's getting to the root of that and, and, you know, not only your own story, but everyone else's stories that you're trying to interact with. It's just, it's, it's fascinating and it's, and it's powerful. And I think it's something that, you know, we're so go, go, go anymore in this world that it kind of gets overlooked. So I thank you for bringing that up. Well, and, and really it's something that's, it really is. It's, it's not thought of ahead of time. If you ever watch America's Got Talent, my wife and I are pretty big fans, you'll notice that the people with the great stories win the golden buzzer. They're talented beyond belief, but their story is what draws the judges to push that golden buzzer, right? And in real estate, it's no different. Why are you doing what you're doing? The reason I love what you represent, Anthony, is when you came to me and you talked to me about your ideas, you're not like, I want to start a real estate fund and make all this money and all this great stuff, which every business has to make money. Every business has to operate with capital. But you said, I have a mission. This is what I want. This is the community I want to serve. And you have such a clear path in front of you that I was like, that's a story that you've connected deeply with your story and your strategy. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and again, that's what I think separates you from most uh, real estate investors and for most people in general, you you're, you have this foresight and this desire to really connect with your inner mission. And I wish more people had that. A lot of people approach me all the time to ask for consulting or help with things, and or they just talk about their business ideas. I talk to a million people. I just like talking to people. But rarely do people share their mission with me or even understand what that is mm-hmm. and convince me to want to be a part of that. Like, I am also, I'm susceptible to great stories. That's why marketing is kind of evil. If you're not using it with altruistic, uh, you know, like intentions, because marketing is so powerful. Great marketer can tell a story and just, you end up buying stuff you don't need, right? And you're like, what was I thinking? But when people do it with the intention to serve, uh, as you're doing, it really draws me to want to be involved or help you or, or just listen to your story. And that's, that's how I know, right. That when I, when I feel moved to do something, someone's done something right. Mm -hmm. And, and that is the kind of things I want to be involved with. So um, everyone listening, whether, you know, they're military spouses or whether they're seasoned investors, 
you have to start from somewhere. My story is very unique and I'm not some savvy investor with millions of dollars in all these doors. I'm at the beginning, but I felt drawn to the people who had great stories. And that was where my gift was. And that's where I feel lucky because I landed right in the middle of a full-time real estate uh, you know, career where most people can't do that. They still have to work their W-2 and invest on the side. And, and I saw the struggle that a lot of these big guys on bigger pockets and other things have there where they wish they could do this full-time, but they couldn't. And I happen to be one of the lucky few who someone's like, come help me build my business. And it happens to be a real estate investing firm. And I was like, what? Awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, I had the chance to work on a different fund with Mission First and other projects. And it was like, all of a sudden I was thrown in the heart of real estate as a full-time career. And that was so awesome and unexpected. But that's, again, it has to do with maybe it was the way I shared my story or I shared strategy or tried to add value to what people were doing that they wanted to invite me to be a part of those things. Um, and, and really, if you lead with value and you have a mission, there's not much you can't accomplish. I truly believe that. Love it. I love that, man. All right. I, I, I think we could probably talk about this conversation for, you know, another 20 minutes, um, but we're getting to the, to the uh, end of the uh, show and I want to get into the snapshot round. So you ready for it? Let's do it. All ahead, plank, cavitate, snapshot, tube, tube. All right, here we go. Dane, what is your number one failure in real estate? I didn't invest sooner. I didn't, I didn't get involved and I backed out on deals that I was too afraid to execute on. And I listened to other people. I didn't trust my instinct and I lost out on some amazing investment opportunities with uh, houses and different properties early on. Awesome. Yeah. That, that I mean, that's a big one is, you know, it, what, what's the saying, uh, you know, the, the best time to buy real estate was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So yeah, absolutely. Agree. Um, all right. As a, as a, you know, a military or military related investor, what advice do you have for other military investors to be, to uh, be successful? Get involved, start doing your research, no matter if you're deployed in Japan, it doesn't matter if you're a spouse, be the spouse that learns this incredible industry and add value to your household. I can't stress that enough. Be the person who starts connecting with the meetups, starts getting the knowledge and, and really pushing your family or your, your spouse to, and your partner to um, get a little bit uncomfortable. Start investing in some real estate, even small in, in a small way. It doesn't matter. Uh, just get involved and just show up. Love it. All right. Um, well, you're not serving your country, so I won't ask you that. But last question for you, Dane. What is your dream? My dream is to sit in a room and help amazing people tell stories. I mean, the like big thinkers. I want to sit in a room one day with the Elon Musks and the Hugh Carnahan's as he grows into, you know, where he's going and just be someone that people like having along the journey and see my value along the way. And the big dream outside of that is publishing my writing because I do a lot of fiction writing. So um, that would be the goal is just doing what I love every day and helping people and companies grow. Be amazing. Dude, you still need to send me your, your transcripts for your book. You never did that when you were here. And I'm really, I want to read it. I, I would be honored for you to read it. Um, I just met with a published author last night and he gave me such amazing insights. One, it reaffirmed that I'm on the right track and two, 
he made himself available as a mentor and just, uh, it was just so insightful. So I'm excited. I will share with you some of the stuff that I have and I would very much value your feedback. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love, I love reading your stuff because I know talking with you, how, how, uh, the storytelling really kind of comes out of you, but I can't imagine putting it on paper where you, you can build these whole other worlds and stuff. So anyway, yeah, please send it to me. I'm super excited to hear about it, but, um, Dane, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure talking with you and, you know, I wish we could still keep doing it more because it's been, you know, about six months since you left, but I appreciate being able to spend this time with you and really just having a conversation about your life and, you know, the, the, roller coaster ride that you kind of had, but that's ultimately kind of led you into real estate. Um, and I think it, it's fascinating. So I'm sure a lot of people will want to, you know, contact you and talk with you about, you know, what you're kind of going through, particularly as a, as a mill spouse. So where can people go to learn more about you? So you can connect with me on LinkedIn, just Dane Logan. Uh, you'll see a picture of me standing in Venice. Um, so you can reach out to me that way. Dane Logan at outlook.com. I was lucky enough to just get that without 82 or whatever else. Uh, they can reach out to me. My phone number, I'm local in the States now, 801-512-6835. Say you heard uh, some of the things I was talking about on your, uh, your podcast and that you know Anthony Pinto and I would love to open my schedule, my time to meeting any of your audience. And that's really what I'm about. So if I'm out there and people want to talk about mission, story, strategy, um, I would be happy to do that. Perfect. All right. And we'll include all that in the- or pivoting, uh, right? Well. Yeah, yeah How to pivot in life is, is a big one. Um, and, and keep the, the faith and the hope that it will turn out okay. So, but no, I, I can't thank you enough, Anthony. Again, I, I missed the time that we could go down to the, the Izakaya grab some drinks, speak some Japanese. And it's, I was thinking about it so much today, how deeply I miss Japan. So I'm, I'm a little bit jealous, but thank you for your time. Yeah. This means you got to come visit again. Yeah. Believe me. The moment they say I can come back, I probably will. So <laughs> fair enough. Awesome, man. Well, Dan, it's good catching up. Definitely uh, stay safe and uh, best of luck in Missouri. Okay. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you are a military investor and found this episode of the Lessons in Real Estate show packed with great information, tell your friends and leave a five-star rating on your listening platform. Every comment is read and appreciated. Don't forget to check out our weekly episodes of PCI Teaches, brought to you by Pinto Capital Investments. Learn about basic and advanced topics in real estate investing. Catch updates on Anthony's journey through learn and teach segments and listen to the tales of other military investors and real estate professionals every week. We'll catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate show.